I'm extremely uh, touched by this uh, gathering and uh, very lovely to see everyone together this morning and uh, just offer a few words, endeavoring to be brief. I have a three-hour meeting immediately after the meal. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, looking back over the last 10 years, it really is a, a, a astonishingly um, strange thought. It seems to have just gone by in a finger snap. Um, but uh, I have uh, memories of uh, getting uh, onto the plane in San Francisco, people scattering rose petals uh, on the uh, the departure lounge floor uh, on my departure, and then these uh, petals gather again here for 10 years later. And uh, it's very lovely to see people's uh, appreciation. During this time, uh, I was asked to reflect on a few of the things that were significant to me. Uh, firstly, um, Amravati is a place of giving that many of you might have noticed. <laughs> a long, long time ago, Lumpur when he was asked about what's the nature of happiness, he said, happiness is what you feel when you get what you want, but joy is what comes from giving. And so I've uh, 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 really um, genuinely, and I'm not just sort of making up sweet words, but I genuinely appreciate the opportunity to give and to uh, to say, uh, uh, be sharing time and attention and energy to help people along, to help teaching Dhamma, to help uh, people enter into the holy life and to, to train these strange human lives that we have and guide them towards a quality of realization, liberation. So I really appreciate the opportunity to give. You might sound, that might sound like a sort of um, subtle emotional pressure, <laughs> but it's not meant in that way. It's really a, a sincere observation that when we, when we are unselfish, again, as Don Paul would say, when I think about myself, I feel depressed. And so that's a, a very simple equation. If we if we are self-centered, if we only think about ourselves, then uh, depression and the the kind of uh, uh, dominasa feelings arise. If we are unselfish, if we're motivated by that sense of of uh, looking out for others by being ready to share our time, our energy, our attention, then joy is what arises. Another of the things I'd like to mention is I'm very happy to be back together with the women's monastic community. Uh, I lived at Abayagiri um, and, uh, and was based there about uh, 15 years. It was a pretty much an all-male community. Uh, Ajahn Sundra was there for a time, uh, ex-Ajahn Jitendriya. Oh, no, she's a, uh, she's a nun again, Jitendriya, <laughs> back in robes again. Uh, Ex-Ajahn Tanasanti, she was there for a time. But mostly it was an all-male monastic community, and and uh, it, uh, it has its own characters. I'm not putting down uh, single-gender monasteries, but it was a bit like, you know, if those of you who are familiar with the Lord of the Rings, it was a bit like being an ent, the ents who've lost their ent wives, who've gone away and they don't know where they've gone. And that sense of half of the, the, the picture is missing. So uh, I'm, I'm aware this is a very public statement, <laughs> but it's true. It's, uh, I grew up surrounded by sisters and a mother and a, a female company. And so I've always felt very, uh, very comfortable in in the whole human, amongst the whole human family. And so one of the aspects of being back here is really being a, a sense of appreciation of sharing my life with the women's community as well. Again, I'm not just saying that to be, to be nice, but uh, I mean it. It's, it's true. Another of the things that was uh, very um, impactful coming to live here was I didn't realize quite how much the American Buddhist scene was a, a monoculture or maybe a, a duo culture. So we would have 
uh, a number of Thai people uh, coming to visit the monastery and, and being around, but let's say 90, 95% of the people that we met were white, middle-class, educated uh, Americans and uh, who all spoke English as their first language. A couple of Canadians, maybe, like Ajahn Pasano. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're coming here, and you know, you've got Czechs, Poles, Hungarians, uh, Koreans, Japanese, uh, Chinese, uh, everybody, South Americans, North Americans, uh, Australians, is the, and uh, a vast number of languages and uh, uh, cultural uh, backgrounds. So it was uh, really quite uh, startling, like, oh, you say something and half the people in the room can't understand it because you're quoting some, some kind of uh, American or British TV program and the, the people from Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic go, look, wasn't on my TV, Ajahn. <laughs> the, the films you mentioned or the, the things that you learnt in school just draw a blank. So that was really an interesting and helpful challenge just to learn how to communicate by not making assumptions about where people come from, what their background is, and their, their language, their, their kind of, um, <laughs> their, uh, uh, the kind of, um, say, uh, understanding in that sense of, well, I might like to say it that way, but if I say it that way, half the people can't understand, so what's the point? You know, teaching Dhamma is not a proclamation, it's, a, it's supposed to be a communication. So that was, uh, I found, very, uh, very uh, helpful exercise, and 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 so making the priority of uh, attuning to who you're talking to. Uh, now, one of the challenges, though, here is a Bhayagiri monastery is extremely rugged. It, it's about a, a, a fifteen hundred meter climb from one side of the monastery to the other. So it's very every, the average slope is about one in three. So you can't stay stuck in your head. Because you're always having to go up, climb up the hill or climb down it. And it's very uh, convoluted landscapes of the Ajahn Kachana will know. He's lived there. Ajahn Sundra also. Little foot trails through the forest. And they're only about uh, <clears throat> one and a half uh, a foot wide, one and a half feet wide. So if you're off in your head, you, <laughs> you go over the edge. And then you roll down the hillside through the poison oak, which um, gives you a nasty rash that, can, uh, that itches like crazy for two or three weeks. So you have a lot of um, encouragement not to lose your thread as you're going through the forest. Amravati is a five uh, is a, like a five-acre campus of these buildings. So it's very flat. The biggest slope is the climb up the steps into the temple. You know, seven, seven steps into the temple is the the main climb on the site. So it's, it's, the challenge is to not be up in your head. You can easily forget that bit of, the, of the, your being sort of below the neck. And so uh, I, part of the life here, and, and not just for myself, but you know, in helping to guide others is to uh, that challenge of not having that kind of automatic kayanupasana that I, you got from Abhayagiri that really did, um, say, force you to be mindful of the body, otherwise you were in, in trouble. So that was, a, that was a challenge. Maybe the, the last thing I'd like to share is, uh, is that how... Um, up until the time I came here and took over as abbot in November of 2010, I'd always had someone in front. I'd always been like the second or third monk when I was in, in the senior role. And there was always that buffer of somebody, like Lumpur Samed, I was here, the second monk here for the last two or three years. And then at Abhayagiri, I had Ajahn Pasno as my co-abbot. And so there was always this kind of large, solid, reliable presence to my, to my, <laughs> to my right. You could turn to and say, "What do you think we should do?" 
And then uh, over the first year or so I was here, I go, he's not there. <laughs> and that sense of, okay, well, it's, it stops with me. And that um, having to take responsibility and having to sort of, okay, I've got to put my name on that one. And I hadn't really had to do that. Even when Ajahn Pasano was away traveling for some time, then um, there was always that sense, well, he'll be back soon, and then we can talk about it then. So uh, that uh, having to rise to that challenge of taking responsibility and being ready to to um, sort of to lead without having a, a comfortable buffer. And uh, and in that respect, um, I, I took a, a, a many of you have heard me quote Lumpur Cha very very often. How, uh, when somebody asked him how he managed to deal with all the Mopapong with his, you know, uh, 40 or 50 monks, 40 or 50 nuns, 20, 30, 40 branch monasteries, and hundreds of people coming to see him every day. And he, he pointed to this large Sima stone outside the temple and said, see that stone? And he said, yeah. Said, is it, is that stone heavy? He said, yeah, it's huge. It's an old Sima stone. It's you know, nearly two meters high. It's, it's really thick. Yeah, that's heavy. And then Lumpur Chah said, if you don't pick it up, it's not heavy. My yoke, my nuck. If you don't lift it, if you don't pick it up, it's not heavy. And so uh, that's been kind of my motto <laughs> and a guiding principle. Not sort of avoiding responsibility or uh, shirking duties, but not that kind of grasping or, or taking things personally. And so I feel that uh, is a very, um, been extraordinarily skillful advice and something that I've greatly appreciated from. Uh, yeah, from my teacher, Lumpocha, over these years in terms of being in a role where there's a lot of things to, <laughs> to pick up, to be able to pick them up, but not to grasp them, not to carry them around. So I'll leave my reflections there this morning and uh, express my gratitude for uh, the uh, beautiful gestures being made today. And uh, uh, may the next uh, 10 years go as uh, interestingly <laughs> and uh, Probably will go by even quicker. We'll, we'll, uh, we shall see. So, I don't know what to know for everyone.